Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat that you have given us, this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha, as family, to worship before you and to encounter your presence. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word uh, received, your heart felt, your message coming directly from me, that it will not be of anything of me except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, we trust and believe in perfect faith that you are at work here on this Shabbat, and I believe that you are at work in this message. Father, breathe new life into us, that as we leave this place today, we leave transformed for the good and the purposes of your kingdom and your glory. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to veer slightly off topic, not entirely, but slightly off topic. Most of you know that generally speaking, I preach from uh, the Torah Parsha every week, and this is connected to the Parsha, um, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit off, uh, off kilter. With that said, uh, as, I, as I spoke a second ago, normally I, I preach on the Parsha each week. However, uh, this week we're going to be a little bit off kilter. We're going to be a little bit out of the norm. Uh, this is in some ways connected to the Parsha, but it's a greater concept we're dealing with here and one that I feel is absolutely necessary for us to discuss as a Messianic Jewish synagogue and ultimately as believers within the greater body of Messiah. And I want to encourage you, when you leave here today, uh, take a few seconds to share uh, on social media, the video from the, the live stream today. It'll be available still on Facebook. It'll be available on YouTube. It'll be available on our website. Take a few moments to share this because this is something that the body of Messiah as a whole needs to wake up to. Um, and what I'm going to really deal with today is the concept and the idea of anti-Semitism. All right, because the reality is, is if you've paid attention to the news at all in the last few weeks, and if you haven't paid attention to the news at all, God bless you because it is brilliant that you're able to pull that off uh, and have your sanity still. The rest of us are all, all out of whack after even a day of the news. But nonetheless, if you paid attention to the news at all the, the last few weeks, you'll notice that, uh, and really the last few years, that there is a very uh, angrily and rapidly growing uh, anti-Semitic voice, especially here in the States, but in the West as a whole. We are watching in great detail as things that we, the Jewish people, have constantly said for the last 60, 70 years, never again, never again, never again, here it is happening all over again. Um, and as is the case, and, and not all of it, but as is the case with most of history for the last, give or take, 1,700 years, uh, we've noticed that a lot of the anti-Semitic events that have occurred throughout history for the last 1,700 years have occurred at the hands of believers, which means that if we as believers are anti-Semitic, if we hate Jewish people, if we hate Israel, if we hate these things that are happening, uh, then we are either outside of the will of God or something drastically has changed in God's word and in his call and his, his yearning for his people. Uh, so today I want to deal with this idea of anti-Semitism, what it is, what it's from, and really what we're dealing with in the world around us today. Because as I said, paying attention to the news, you'll notice that over Hanukkah, there were nine plus separate individual attacks of anti-Semitic uh, uh, violence against Jewish people in the greater metro New York area alone. 
nine separate events. Not only that, and this isn't just an anti-Semitism thing. That's a big part of, what it, of what's going on. But this goes even greater because on the last day, uh, the, the seventh day of Hanukkah, right before uh, sundown starting the eighth night where we light the, the eighth candle, on that seventh day of Hanukkah, which was a Sunday, there was a shooting at a church in Texas. So this isn't just the Jewish people that are dealing with this, all right? The, the greater body is going to fulfill the effects of this as well. But the, the idea of anti-Semitism and ultimately the idea of hatred in general uh, is, is a greater concept that's rooted in a, uh, an entirely different issue. And so what we're going to deal with today is anti-Semitism and what that is rooted in. And so I pose to you this idea. And you can jot this down to, to, to take some time to go back and ponder it later if you want. But the roots of anti-Semitism is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. All right, write that down. The root of anti-Semitism is the spirit of anti-Messiah. And if we as the body of Messiah as a whole have allowed anti-Semitism to exist in the greater body over the last 1,700 plus years, we have allowed the works of the spirit of the anti-Messiah to exist in our midst. All right, I want you to let that sink in. When I say write that down and take it home and ponder it, I want you to take it home and ponder it. I want you to share this message with anyone and everyone that you know because the body needs to awaken to this reality. I shared something on social media the other day about the, the attack in, uh, on the seventh night of Hanukkah, which happened in Muncie, New York. Uh, a, a guy goes into, uh, or someone, I, I forget if it was a guy or a girl at this point, it's been a few days now, but somebody went into a uh, uh, Chabad synagogue in Muncie, New York, and was wielding a machete, and uh, as they were celebrating the seventh night of Hanukkah, just starts whacking people with a machete and, and hashing people. Uh, and uh, for us, you know, anti-Semitism hits really close to home. I am uh, a, uh, what we call a third-generation Holocaust survivor. My great-grandparents uh, went through the Holocaust uh, and, and came out on the other end, and a lot of my family died in the Holocaust, um, and I am here in spite of the Holocaust. Uh, but so when I say anti-Semitism hits close to home, it really does. But aside from that, it happening in Muncie hits even closer to home because Muncie is an area that Danielle and I lived in when we were in New York. We lived in Nyack, which is in Rockland County. Muncie is on uh, one in Rockland County, and Nyack was on the other end. I used to work in Muncie. Uh, Rockland County is something like 60-plus percent Jewish, uh, and Muncie itself is like 90% Jewish. And by that, that majority of that 90% is uh, Hasidic Judaism. And almost every branch of Hasidic Judaism is represented in Muncie. Um, so when, when we talk about it hitting close to home, which is something I'd said on Facebook, it really does because this is an area that we're familiar with, that we lived in, that I worked in, that I interacted with people in, uh, and, and so on. And so it hit really close to home, even more so than, than maybe uh, other, other attacks have that I've noticed. But what I, what I said in there was now is the time that righteous people need to stand up against the works of anti-Semitism. So if you have your scriptures, I'm going to build this concept of the root of anti-Semitism is the spirit of anti-Messiah. Uh, if you have your scriptures, open up to Genesis 46. This is this week's Torah Parsha. Genesis 46, beginning with verse 1. This is Jacob on his journey or getting ready to make his journey down to Egypt, which is where he's going to be reunited with, reunited with Joseph and, uh, and, and begin this journey of Israel moving into ultimately slavery in Egypt, but more so even ultimately than that uh, is the idea that Israel will ultimately come out of Egypt out of slavery, into freedom, and into the promised land and the promises of God. But verse 1 of Genesis 46, so Israel set out along with everything that belonged to him. When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. In visions of the night, God said to him, Jacob, Jacob, he says, here I am. 
Uh, he says, I am God, the God of your fathers. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will turn you into a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will also most certainly bring you up. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. So as we read this, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kicking things off from this passage because I think it's important that we realize that this is something that's connected to this Parsha and to the events of Joseph's life and the brothers uh, uh, of uh, the, the sons of uh, Jacob as a whole. It's very important that we grasp this and understand this because it's a part of what we see in the narrative of the development of the people of Israel as a whole. But here we see that Jacob is getting ready to go down to, uh, to, to Egypt. He's getting ready to go be reunited with Joseph. And the Lord appears to him in a dream, in a vision, and says, uh, Jacob, Jacob, he says, Hineni, here I am, here I am. He says, I am going with you. Do not fear. I am going with you. I will protect you. I will care for you. And I will, in fact, bring you back up from Egypt. And he's not talking just of J Jacob's body being taken out of Egypt to be buried in Shechem, as we read in next week's Parsha. He's not talking about uh, anything along those. He's talking about the people of Israel will be taken up by the hand of God and removed out of slavery in Egypt and brought back into the promised land and the fullness of the promise of God. And this is what we see being spoken to Jacob here. So we see this idea of God's covenant connection to the people of Israel and to the descendancy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being reiterated here in this Parsha. But if we backtrack just a little bit to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, says, Then Adonai said to Abraham, Go, get going out from your land and from your relatives and from the fa your father's house, the land to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went out as Adonai had spoken to him. Also Lot with, went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So what we see is that the Lord tells him that uh, I'm taking you out of the land. I want you to go where I tell you to go. I'm making this covenant relationship with you in this process. He says, where you go, I will go. He says, I will bless you. I will bless everything your hands come onto. And through you or through your seed, which is language that we see throughout the scriptures as a whole, through your seed, the nations of the world will be blessed. We go forward to uh, Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 17, verse 3. Abram fell on his face, and God spoke uh, with him, saying, For my part, because my covenant is with you, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, uh, because I make you the father of a multitude of nations. Yes, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come forth from you. Yes, I will establish my covenant between me and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. In order to be your God and your seed's God after you, I will give to you and to your seed after you the land where you are an outsider, the whole land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Everlasting, eternal. I want you to understand that as believers in Messiah Yeshua, we have zero ground whatsoever to stand on when it comes to believing in the eternal promise of salvation if we don't believe that every time God says eternal or everlasting that he means it. 
So if God, you got to understand replacement theology is this anti-Semitic theology in the body of Messiah that says that at the cross, God was officially done with the Jewish people. They don't matter anymore. He doesn't care about them anymore. And all of the promises and blessings to the Jewish people have now been transferred to the Gentile church. And if Jews happen to trip into that, great. But other than that, God doesn't care about the Jews anymore. This is absolutely, in my opinion, blasphemous as far as the word of God goes. But that's a whole different story. But replacement theology says God is done with the Jewish people. But we can't believe that replacement theology is true if we believe that God means eternal or everlasting when he says that our lives are saved in the blood of Messiah and that we will seek, uh, that we will see his eternal kingdom. We cannot believe that he means eternal in the Brichadashah or the New Testament if we don't believe he means eternal in the Tanakh or the Old Testament. We can't believe that his promise to you and I of eternal salvation is true if we don't believe that his promise of eternal covenant to Israel is true. It doesn't work both ways. We can't have it both ways. He says, I am making an everlasting covenant with you. We go to Genesis 22, verse 15. The angel of Adonai called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I swear, it is a declaration of Adonai because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son. I will richly bless and bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the seashore. And your seed will possess the gate of his enemies and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So you understand that the promise to Abraham is not just a promise of having some unique ground of turf. The promise to Abraham is not just a promise that we will inherit Israel for all eternity. It is not just a promise that we get to slice ourselves up a little bit as part of this covenant. It is a promise that the entire world will be blessed through us. Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. He dreamed all of a sudden there was a stairway set up on the earth and its top reaching to the heavens, and behold, angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it, and he said, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the land, and you will burst forth to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, and in your seed. Notice this language of seed over and over and over and over again. And notice it is always in the singular. Because although, yes, it is speaking of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Israel as a whole, it's also speaking very specifically of one distinct seed. And that is the seed that becomes Mashiach. Behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you. Has God, in fact, finished what he has promised to Israel? Not even in the least. Not even in the least. There is far greater still in store of the promises of Adonai to the people of Israel, which means he will neither leave nor forsake his people. Genesis 35, verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padanaram, and he blessed him. God said to him, your name was Jacob. No longer will you be, your name be Jacob, for your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and an assembly of nations will come from you. From your loin will come forth kings. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I give to you and to your seed after you. I will give the land. And remember that the promise here is that God is giving this land and the covenant that goes with it to the people of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as an everlasting covenant, not something that can be ripped away at our whim and decision. 
And again, in Exodus 19, verse 3, this is the Lord speaking uh, to the nation of Israel as a whole. It says, Moses went up to God, and I called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and to tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles', eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my, command, my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim and a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. Over and over and over again, these promises are made to the people of Israel. Over and over and over again, the reiteration of the covenant between Adonai and Abraham is reiterated and spoken over the people of Israel, over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, throughout the Tanakh, throughout the, the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures as a whole. We see it reiterated time and time again in the Brachet as Yeshua talks about, he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and so on and so forth. We see this reiteration and this idea over and over and over again. So as I said at the beginning, the root of anti-Semitism is not just a hatred for the Jewish people that makes no sense, but the root of anti-Semitism is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. And we trace back to creation itself. At creation itself, when, or just after creation, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were kicked out of the garden, the Lord speaks to Adam and to Chava, to Adam and Eve, and says from, uh, that your seed, speaking of a specific seed, again singular, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. All right? In other words, your seed will destroy the enemy, will destroy Hasatan. Right? So from the foundations of creation, and especially from the, 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 the words being spoken over Adam and Chava, the enemy has been working in great detail, in great effort, to demolish the reality of God's promise through that seed of Adam and Chava, through that seed of Adam. And so he worked tirelessly to try and destroy and demolish that seed. We see this with Cain and Abel. Then Seth comes along. And the seed continues on. And as the seed continues on, we come to Abraham. And this promise of this blessing through the seed is then brought through narrow, more narrow, right? We've got Adam. All of his seed could potentially be that seed. Now this lineage has been narrowed down to Abraham, who is also the seed or in the lineage of the seed of Adam and Chava. Abraham comes forth and he says, through your seed, all of the nations will be blessed. And this idea is still that same singular seed. The seed that will crush the enemy's head will be the same seed that will bless the entirety of the nations, uh, of all the nations on the face of the earth. And so Abraham comes along and the enemy is trying his hardest to destroy Abraham. Then that promise of the seed continues on through Isaac and he tries to destroy Isaac. And the promise of the seed continues on through Jacob and he tries to demolish Jacob's lineage time and time again. And all of a sudden now Jacob goes into Egypt 70 strong. He's got the birthings of what will become a fledgling nation. What a hundred years later, or a little less than a hundred years later, will be a nation of upwards of almost five million people by the time you calculate the reality of what God says here, that you will be a conglomeration of nations coming together. By the time we get to Sinai, there's as many as five million people. 600,000 of those are, are just Jewish men above the fighting age. Right? So we're talking a mill and a half to two million people that were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we see come out of that. So once we get past Jacob, we, once we get into Egypt, what we recognize is that Pharaoh, the, it says in, in the beginning of Exodus, that uh, suddenly arose a Pharaoh that knew not of Jacob or knew not of Joseph. Right? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, suddenly arose a Pharaoh that knew not of Joseph. I doubt he didn't know of Joseph. It has to do with that he had no care or concern whatsoever for what was done through Joseph. 
And so Joseph is forgotten about and Israel is put into slavery in Egypt. Why? Because the promise that was spoken to Adam, the promise that was spoken to, uh, through Abraham, the promise spoken through Isaac and Jacob was that through the seed of these people that the entire nation would be blessed and that through them the nations as a whole of the world would be blessed. And so all of a sudden the enemy gets a little uptight because things are moving along and he thought he was going to be able to stop and he hasn't stopped it yet. But he knows now he doesn't have to worry about all of humanity quite as much. He just has to worry about this one line, the line of Abraham. And so then as things progress from here, Israel is put into slavery. And as we move forward, what we recognize is that God then calls out the lineage of Judah. Right? We, reckon, we see to the end of next week's Parsha when the blessings are spoken over each of the sons of Israel that God singles out the lineage of Judah. And says that from Judah will come forth the kings and that the seed transfers through him or narrow, narrows down through him. And in the seed we get David and we get Solomon who are the forefathers of Yeshua ultimately. And so through this lineage of Judah we get Messiah. Which is the very seed that the Lord was speaking of coming through Adam and Chaba. The very seed that would crush the enemy's head. The very seed that would be a blessing to all of the world. And all the way along the enemy has been trying to crush this seed. The reality is, is that hatred of the Jewish people is simply the works of the spirit of the anti-Messiah trying to destroy the promise of the seed of Adam and Chava, bringing restoration to the world. It is an effort by the enemy to use us to do his dirty work to try and, and steal away the work that God is wanting to do through his people. Ultimately, we get to Yeshua. Yeshua is born. Yeshua goes into ministry, and he, he heals people. And he does all these miraculous things, and then he offers his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, providing us salvation, uh, providing forgiveness and atonement for sin. All of a sudden, the very thing that the enemy was trying to stop from coming came anyways. And the very work of redemption that he wanted to make sure never came so the whole world wouldn't be blessed through the seed of Abraham has in fact come. But Yeshua also says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sinner, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Verse 39, for I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeshua says he will not return back again, that he will not make his triumphal entry until all Israel proclaims, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice the language here, the wording that's used is the introduction of the Jewish wedding ceremony. As the bridegroom is approaching the chuppah, the, the, the rabbi says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what he tells Israel is, You will not see me come again until you welcome me in as your bridegroom. All of a sudden, it's no longer an entire world of people that the enemy has to try and destroy the seed in. It's no longer the lineage of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. It's no longer simply the lineage of Judah. It's no longer even worrying about trying to stop Messiah from coming. All of a sudden, the enemy got his new marching orders ready to send out. And those new marching orders are, keep the Jewish people from coming to know their Jewish Messiah. 
keep the Jewish people from coming to know their Jewish Messiah. Because as long as the Jewish people do not proclaim Baruch HaBashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Mashiach will not return. And that means that much longer before the enemy's head is crushed by the seed of Adam and Eve. That means that much longer before the entire world is truly blessed through the seed of Abraham. So what we see here is that this idea of anti-Semitism, which whether we like it or not and whether we're willing to admit it or not, is very prevalent in the body of Messiah today. And it's funny too because I have conversations with people where we talk about this idea of replacement theology or dispensational theology, which is just, pardon my language, a bastardized form of replacement theology. Replacement theology says that God is done with the Jewish people and they don't matter anymore. Dispensational theology says that right now God's done with the Jewish people and they don't matter. At some point in the future, he'll care about them again, but right now God isn't really worried about them. That is just garbage. The Word of God says it's an everlasting covenant and an everlasting promise and an everlasting relationship. And if we believe that our salvation is everlasting and eternal, we have to accept, whether we like it or not, that his relationship with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is eternal as well. And so the reality is, is that anti-Semitism, the root of anti-Semitism is the spirit of the anti-Messiah simply trying to keep Jewish people from coming to know their promised Jewish Messiah. And we, the body of Messiah, for the last 17, 1800 years have absolutely given the enemy free reign to do whatever kind of crazy mess he wants to in our midst. While we're fighting against the works of the anti-Messiah, while we're crying out, keep your eyes open for the anti-Messiah, while we're crying out for these things to not happen or that we're on guard against them, we are in fact allowing him to put his feet in our own communities and to speak through us. Replacement theology has been taught for a very long time in churches all over the world. We have allowed the spirit of the anti-Messiah to speak through us. We've allowed our theology to be based off the spirit of the anti-Messiah, not the truth of who the Jewish Messiah really is, and the needs of his people to come to know him so that you and I both, as Jew and non-Jew alike, and the world as a whole can in fact be blessed through the promised seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reality is, is that throughout history, the enemy has wanted to do nothing more than to destroy the works of the seed of Adam, than to keep the second Adam from coming. He has wanted nothing more than to make sure that Yeshua does not appear on earth and offer his life as a sacrifice for atonement and forgiveness for us. And yet, he comes anyways. Nothing the enemy has done has been able to stop the plan of God. And instead, what we as the body of Messiah have done is allowed the enemy to work his way into our own ranks. And whereas Paul tells us in Romans that the nations being brought into the body of Messiah was for the purpose of driving the Jew to jealousy for his God, the reality is, is that most of the body of Messiah for the last 1,700 years plus has done nothing more than drive the Jewish people further and further away. Because we have taken what was supposed to be from the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the world, and we've removed the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from it. We've removed the reality of the Jewish heritage in the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendancy in the message of Messiah, we've separated the Jewish people who carry the promise from the promise itself. And we've allowed the spirit of the anti-Messiah to work his way into our lives, whether we realize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're awake to it or not. We've allowed the anti-Messiah to work his way into our lives to keep the Jewish people separated from their promised Jewish Messiah. 
to make sure that when they look at the body of Messiah, they see something so contradictory and contrary to the word of God, to what they perceive to be the works of the Messiah in their midst. Instead, they see people who say they follow the promised Jewish Messiah, but instead espouse hatred against the Jewish people. Instead, espouse uh, anti-Semitism left and right. Now, don't get me wrong. Most of the attacks that have occurred over the last few weeks have not necessarily been at the hands of believers. But most of the attacks against the Jewish people that occurred for the last better part of the last two millennia have been. Let that sink in. The reason it's so easy for, for, for people today to stomach what's going on around us is because it was at the hands of believers that this has occurred for the last two millennia. How can we as believers speak against it when we, in fact, were the ones that were doing this? It is time now for the body of Messiah to awaken our eyes to the works of the anti-Messiah in our very own ranks. It is time now that we stand up for the Jewish people. And look, you've got to understand me. When I, I'm talking today specifically about anti-Semitism, but the reality is anti-Semitism is a microcosm of a greater issue. And the greater issue is hatred. The shooting that occurred at the church in Texas, it was hatred. All of these churches that have been attacked all over the place, we go back to churches being burned in Mississippi, you know, 50, 60 years ago. We go back to things that have occurred in the, the Carolinas and California and so on and so forth. We go back to even uh, back to the, the, the burning of the, the Cathedral of Notre Dame or whatever it's called in Paris. It's hatred. The root of hatred is the spirit of anti-Messiah. The root of anti-Semitism is the spirit of anti-Messiah. You know why? Because not only can he limit the, the, the connection of the Jewish people to their Messiah if the believers drive them away from it, but he can also limit the power of God in our midst if we're not unified. And so whether we're talking about what's called racism, look, let's be honest about it. There's only one race. It's the human race. There are ethnicities within that race, and we're absolutely idiotic if we hate another ethnicity. That's just the, the fact about it. We're, we're absolute idiots if that's the case. Because we're all from the same lineage. We're all from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or I'm sorry, from the lineage of Adam and Eve. And we're all attached to as believers in Messiah, whether you're black, white, Asian, uh, uh, Latin American, Latin, uh, African, whatever. It doesn't matter. We are all, as believers, brought into the commonwealth, the nation of Israel, the commonwealth of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We may not all be blood lineage, but we're all brought into that commonwealth. We as believers should not be hating anyone. For a long time, just as it was the body of Messiah that was pushing anti-Semitism, it's also been the body of Messiah that has been pushing segregation in our congregations. It is the anti-Messiah in our midst that has caused us to have Asian congregations and black congregations and white congregations and Spanish congregations and whatever else because we prefer to be separated. But the reality is, is that the groundwork, the root of hatred, the root of anti-Semitism as a whole is the anti-Messiah, the spirit of the anti-Messiah at work in our midst. And we have given him free reign to move and to work in our midst and we've given him free reign to demolish the reality of the work of Messiah in our lives 
and we've allowed him to work in such a way in our, uh, uh, our congregations and in the body of Messiah as a whole that we have damaged the reality of the image and likeness of Messiah that the world is supposed to see in us, that the Jewish people are supposed to see in us, so that the Jewish people's eyes will be open to the truth of Yeshua's Messiah and the entire world will be blessed. This is the root of what Paul is dealing with in Romans 11. If you go to, to seminary and a lot of Bible studies and churches and stuff, they'll usually teach Romans. They'll go from Romans 1 to 9, and then they'll pick up again in chapter 12 or 13 and teach through 16. But generally, you don't teach on Romans 10, 11, and 12 because 10 and 11 especially undoes all of the bad theology we've, dealt off of, we've, we've developed off of what we read in Romans 1 through 8. And so most of the body of Messiah doesn't even try to deal with these chapters because, you know what, it, it contradicts the theology we built up. But the reality is, is that Paul is building an idea and then he brings it to culmination by bringing in the lens to clarify what he's being, what's being said with Romans 11. So in Romans 11 verse 1, and this is in closing, he says, I say then, God has not rejected his people. Uh, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand, or do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Adonai, they have killed your prophets. They have destroyed your altars. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is it? What is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in the same way also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it no longer is by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but the elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes not to see and ears not to hear until this very day. And David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, uh, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bend their back continually. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall. Did they? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To provoke Israel to jealousy. And as I said before, the body Messiah has done the exact contradiction to that for the last better part of 2,000 years. If I say then, verse 11, it, uh, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Now, if their transgression leads to riches for the world and their lost riches for Gentiles, then how much more their fullness? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles insofar as I am an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the root of anti-Semitism, the root of hatred as a whole, is the spirit of the anti-Messiah, it is time now, finally, and it has been time for 2,000 years, we were just too blind to see it, but it is time now for the body of Messiah, for righteous people in the blood of Yeshua to stand up against anti-Semitism, to stand up against hatred, to stand up against the works of the anti-Messiah in our midst, 
and to stand firm for the truth of the reality of the words that Yeshua, who is our true Messiah, has done and what he will be coming back again to do. It is time that we as believers stand firm and we preach to the mountaintops that the Messiah of Israel has come and he wants nothing more than for his people to be reunited with him so that the world as a whole can be blessed as was the promise to our forefather Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is our birthright, is to be a blessing to the nations through the work of salvation and Messiah Yeshua. And it is necessary for the people of Israel to come to faith in Yeshua, to proclaim, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, so that it will be life from the dead. The reality of the end time revival that we are waiting for can come forth and the power and might that God wants to do through us. But we can't preach that we want Messiah to return. If out the other side of our face, we are constantly beating down the Jewish people. We can't preach that we want Messiah to return, that we want the power of the end time revival to come upon us if we're also hating the Jewish people or hating anyone else for that matter. Because hatred is contrary to Yeshua. Hatred is contrary to the message of redemption. Look, the Lord has every right to hate each and every one of us. Because we have done despicable things against him. And yet he has forgiven us and restored us and renewed us in the power of his blood. So that we can be one with him again. So I want to encourage you as you leave this place. Take the time to, and if you're joining us online, think about this. Take the time to process that idea that anti-Semitism, the root of anti-Semitism, the root of hatred as a whole, is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. And look in your own hearts. And seek out the Lord's guidance on any area, any person, any people group in your life that you have hatred toward. And recognize that that is the work of the anti-Messiah in your life. Whether or not the anti-Messiah is standing in Jerusalem doesn't matter at this point in time because the anti-Messiah is very much prevalent in the body of Messiah today. And has been for the last 17, 1800 years. And it is time that we stand firm as righteous people, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, both the Messianic Jewish community and the church as a whole, stand firm as the bride of Messiah against the work of the anti-Messiah in our midst. And then we preach the truth of salvation in Messiah Yeshua so that the world will be blessed when all Israel proclaims, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and through which the entire world will be blessed because of the life from death that will come forth when the power of God is known among his people as the Lord longs for us to see. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this wake-up call that you have given to the body of Messiah to stand firm in our faith in Yeshua, to recognize that we are to be uh, conduits for the Messiah, not the anti-Messiah, that we are to stand firm for your truth, not contrary to it. Father, I pray that you will use us here at Congregation Maim Chaim as a bridge between uh, the, the Jewish community and the body of Messiah as a whole. Father, that you will use us to teach other believers that we need to cast off the work of the spirit of the anti-Messiah from our midst, that you will teach us to speak against uh, uh, replacement theology, dispensational theology. You will uh, uh, encourage us to speak against hatred, against any ethnicity, Lord, that we will come together united as one, one people, one descendant of the people, the, the, uh, our forefather, Adam and Eve. One people blessed 
by the reality of the Messiah, the seed spoken of through Adam, through Abraham, through David, and so on and so forth. The seed who is Mashiach Yeshua, who brings us together, bound as one in his blood. Father, return us back into your loving embrace. And Father, we speak right now, B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, by the power of the name of Yeshua, and in the Ruach HaKodesh, we speak against the work of the spirit of the anti-Messiah and the body of Messiah today. We speak against the work of hatred and anti-Semitism. We speak against the, the work of division and disunity that the spirit of the anti-Messiah wants to constantly use in our midst. We speak against these things that keep us from being one people and make us scattered instead. Father, we speak against these things of the blood of Yeshua so that we can stand firm, united as Yeshua's cry before his death was, as we see in John uh, the, the gospel of John, that his cry for his people was to be united as one people so that the world will know who sent us. And Father, we cast out that spirit of the anti-Messiah from our own lives and our own midst and pray, Lord, that you use us to bring that truth to the rest of the body of Messiah as a whole so that the world may know the truth of your name and that your name is one. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.